Praise God, brothers and sisters. What I wanted to talk about this evening is love. Not the relationship kind of love. I can't really help you with that one. But the love that I want to talk about this evening is the love that you and I are called to demonstrate to each and every single person around us. And I noticed this trend recently where the speakers, the final speakers, they like to go to the Old Testament. And for some strange reason, I also want to go to the Old Testament. But first, I want to look at 1 Corinthians. The first place I wanted to turn to was 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But first, I want to give a little bit of context so it makes sense. So in chapter 12, Paul is speaking about different members in the body, individual members of the body, all having their own ministry, having their own gift, their own service that God has given them. And he says to them, this is what it looks like. This is what you will see. This is what the gifts are. It's going to start first with the apostles and then this and this and this and this. And he's finishing all of it. And he ends chapter 12 and he says, desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. He says, look at all of these spiritual gifts. They're great. Seek them. But there is something better. And so the beginning of chapter 13, it says this. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love is very important. Love is very important. It is so important, in fact, that no matter what you do, take everything that you possibly can imagine that you can do for the kingdom of God and say to yourself, if I do not have love, it means nothing. Even if I was to sell all that I have and give to the poor, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Even if I was to sacrifice myself at the stake, burned alive, but I did not have love, it means nothing. It means nothing. And before we continue, I wanted to make one little note. And that is this. Love is not always an emotion, brothers and sisters. Love is not always an emotion. Does love have an emotion? Very often it does, but very often it also does not have any emotion to it. In fact, the emotion is sometimes the opposite. Think of Jesus Christ at the garden praying, and he's getting ready. He knows it's almost his time to go and die on the cross. He knows he's going to be betrayed, and he gets on his knees to pray. And what happens? The Bible says he is in agony. It says he is in so much pain that the Lord sends an angel from heaven to strengthen him. It says he's in so much stress that his sweat becomes great drops of blood. You look at his prayer. What was his prayer? 
Lord, take this away from me. He did not feel like dying on the cross, brothers and sisters, but he did it out of his great love. He did not feel like doing it, but he showed his love by doing it anyway when he said, Lord, not my will, but your will. Why is this important? As we continue in verse 4, it's going to show us that love is more than an emotion. Love is an action. And it says this, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up or arrogant, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil. Depending on which Bible translation you have, thinks no evil means this, keeps no records of wrong. That means when I look at you, brother, or I look at you, sister, I do not look at you remembering all of the bad things that you did to me. When I look at a brother or someone that has offended me and I've forgiven them, I no longer remember what they did to me. This love is a lot harder than simply feeling something. Very often we think the love that we have for our parents, this love that we could have for maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend, we think that's love. Love is deeper than that. Love is so much further than that. And it says this in verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love will always assume the best about a person. Love will always assume that the problem that you and I have was simply a misunderstanding. Love will always say, I do not think they went out of their way to hurt me. I'll assume it was a misunderstanding. That is love. Love is saying, I was offended, I was hurt, but I'm going to believe that you did it on accident. This love is so much harder than a feeling. It's so much deeper than a feeling. It bears all things, even when you do not deserve it. Love says that you will bear everything. Verse 8, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. You might have the gift of prophecy. You might be able to pray in tongues. You might even be able to interpret in tongues. For example, think of the best spiritual gifts. Put them all on a list. Have every single one of those gifts. Love is better than all of them. And I think everyone in here can hear it, and we can agree with it, but we don't believe it. I think everyone in here could say, yeah, it's in there. I see it. But deep down inside, we know we would probably rather have the gift of prophecy than love. I think everyone in here would rather love to have a great singing voice than to be patient. I think everyone in here out of the young men would love to be a godly preacher. It's probably not as popular for you to go and be nice to the elderly people. Do you see what I'm saying? We can read it and agree with it, but do we honestly believe it? And we skip to verse 13. And now abide faith, hope, love. But these three, the greatest of these is love. 
greater than any ministry, greater than any prophetic gifting, greater than any spiritual ministry, healing, helps, administrations, throw it all on a scale. Love will be greater than all of those things. Love will be greater than all of those things. And why is this important? Very often, you and I can have a very unhealthy, a very unhealthy, incorrect view of what God wants from us. Very often, we can get very caught up in what we can do for God, how we can serve God, how we can please God, how we can burn at the stake for Jesus Christ, that we forget to love. Very often, we can get caught up with serving and doing as much as possible but the only thing that really matters is, is love. And I'm not talking about the love that is a feeling. We just read, love is not simply a feeling. Love is living in a way that glorifies Jesus Christ in your life. When you get into an argument with someone, what is your first reaction? Do you justify yourself or do you say, it was probably a misunderstanding? When someone does something wrong to you, do you hold a grudge against them? Or do you say, that's okay, nobody's perfect. When someone, when someone does not ask you to sing, when someone does not ask you to preach, when no one cares to have you preach, and no one is interested in what you have to say, can you still be loving? Love is greater than any sort of ministry, than any sort of offering that you can give God. But what happens when we continue in this? What happens when we say, Lord, I don't agree with your definition of love. I don't agree with the way you measure things. I think you'd want service out of me. And this is where we turn to the Old Testament. There was a king, and this is the first king that God ever gave Israel. This was Saul. And God chose Saul to be the first king. But Saul was not faithful to God. Saul was disobedient to the Lord. And this story that we're going to open up to is found in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And this is what happens. God says, Saul, this is what I want you to do. There are these people called the Amalekites. I want you to wipe them out. They have rebelled against me and they have hurt my people Israel. They showed no mercy. I want you to take every single one of them out. Spare no one. Kill man, kill woman, kill child. Kill every single animal. Destroy and burn everything. This is what I want from you, Saul. Saul musters up a ginormous army, a ginormous and great army. And he says, okay, Lord, I'll do this. But as they start besieging the Amalekites, what happens? The people start saying, Saul, Saul, this is some good stuff here. Saul, I know we're supposed to destroy it, but come on, look at this livestock. Look at this gold. Look at this beautiful stuff. Saul, there's no way you want us to burn this. There's no way, Saul. And what does Saul do? He starts, you know, if, if, if I take all these animals and I sacrifice them to God, he won't be mad with he. If I disobey God, I can justify my disobedience by offering this to him. 
Do you see what Saul just did? And so here we're reading the aftermath of that. 1 Samuel chapter 15, when Samuel comes to Saul. And this is found in verse 37. Excuse me, this is found in verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. God's command was spare no one. Saul says, Lord, I did everything you asked me to. By the way, here's their king. He says, I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. How often do we fear the people? How often do we, by peer pressure, agree to serve the Lord in ministry, in service, when we know that that's not what the Lord wants us to do right now? How often has the Lord convicted us, spend time with me, pray, read my word, and out of nowhere someone comes up and says, hey, can you help out here? Can you also help out here, here, and here. And you know, the Lord will bless you if you serve. How often has the Lord convicted you to spend more time with him and someone will come out of nowhere and say, we could use some help at camp. We could really use some help at the service. We're trying to put this thing together. Could you really help us out? And what usually, what usually happens, I'm speaking for myself, yes. Lord, I know you've been convicting me to spend more time with you but Lord, just one more time. Lord, just this one more time. Lord God, I know that I'm tired. I know I haven't been reading your word, and I know that I'm not in a good spiritual condition right now. Just one more time, Lord, please. Please, Father, I don't want to look like a clown in front of these people. Please, just one more time, God. Please bless me one more time. And we'll take the commandment of the Lord to love, and we'll twist it, and we'll say in our disobedience, we just want to offer the best for you, God. Lord, I know my parents want me at home, but I just want to offer the best for you, God. Lord, I know I should be reading your word, but I just want to offer the best to you, God. Lord, I know I should be praying, but I just want to offer the best to you, God. And we're taking our disobedience, just like Saul, and we're saying, I have obeyed the commandment of the Lord. No, we have not. Saul said, I feared the people. And very often, we can say, we have feared the people. Very often, we can say, I am lazy. Lord, my mom wanted me to wash the dishes, take out the trash, mow the lawn, do this, that. 
if I can sneak into youth instead, I know she'll let me slide. Lord, I know that I should go and take care of this problem I have in this relationship. There's statewide going on in the evening. Lord obviously wants me to go to statewide. I know that I should be fasting and praying before God, but I really got to prepare for this lesson for Saturday school. Do you see what I'm saying? The Lord has called us to love, to obey our parents, to honor those who are above us, to have patience, to have kindness to everyone around us. But we'll take the easy way out. And we'll say, Lord, I'll go set up chairs instead. I'll come to church early to set up chairs so I don't have to do what I'm supposed to do. Lord, I would rather preach for 30 minutes than go and study for school. We make it sound so spiritual. We neglect the things that are important, and we try to make it sound more spiritual than it really is. The Lord has called us to be good stewards, to be wise in our households, to be wise in our work, but we will be more spiritual than that. We'll evangelize. We'll do this. We'll do that. I recall a scenario, and I never met this man, but I heard about this at work. My boss was telling me we had an employee, and this employee... He didn't work. He would spend his whole shift talking to customers, trying to preach to them. This is a true story. I've never met this young man, but I heard this story. He spent his shift talking with customers and trying to preach to them, praying over them. Sounds so spiritual, right? He didn't have that job for long. Why? Because he's not useful for nobody. How often do we, trying to sound so spiritual, neglect the things that really matter. If my mom is disappointed that I am not spending time with her at home because I'm always serving somewhere, I am not being spiritual, brothers and sisters. If I am justifying not having a relationship with my father because I want to serve in church, I am not being spiritual, brothers and sisters. I am justifying my sin. If I do not want to be a good employee because the ministry is where God really wants me to be. Think of Daniel, the man of God. Daniel was exiled in a land with all of Israel. He was serving a pagan king. He was not in the temple. He was not serving God there. What did he do? He made sure that Nebuchadnezzar suffered no loss and God blessed him. Maybe all the Lord wants from you is to make sure your employer suffers no loss. Maybe all the Lord wants from you is to make sure that your boss suffers no. Doesn't sound that spiritual, does it, brothers and sisters? For 70 years, Israel was in a foreign land serving a pagan king. And all God wanted them to do was be patient and to make sure that their ruler suffered no loss. But we're more spiritual than that sometimes. We have these great, fantastic plans, and we take this commandment of love, we throw it away, and we justify our selfishness. We justify our laziness. We justify our lack of faith in God by trying to be more spiritual than we really are. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, when you offer your gift to God on the altar... And you remember that someone has something against you. What do you do? 
Do you offer it? You leave it there. You go, you make peace with your brother. Then you come back and you offer it to God. How often do we hold grudges for weeks, for months, Lord forbid, for years? And for all of that time, we're serving God and we're staying busy and we're doing everything that we can instead of loving them. We're trying to offer something to God that God is not interested in. God is not interested in what you have to offer him if there is not love. Stubbornness is as iniquity in idolatry. It says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Can you believe that? We're Slavic people. Sometimes we get scared when we hear about witches and stuff. You being disobedient to what God has called you to do is like witchcraft. You didn't even have to do none of that weird stuff. Lord sees it in exactly the same way. You're dodging responsibilities at home because you want to be spiritual. The Lord sees no difference between you and someone who practices witchcraft. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy that your disobedience to loving your family, to loving your neighbor, is, is the same in God's eye as this pagan worshiper doing who knows what? Because the Lord is not concerned with what you can do for him if there is not love. But there's a more practical aspect to that too. If you do not have love, you're not a good witness to Jesus Christ. I remember myself when I was younger, being a teenager and having all these trendy speakers coming up and talking. And I remember I wanted to speak to some of these guys after service. They wouldn't even look me in the eye. They didn't care about me. I was a nobody. And they walked away and I thought to myself, I am not interested in what these people have to say to me because they do not love me. I'm not interested in what this fancy speaker has to say to me. I don't care where they came from, Ukraine, Moldova, you name it. The brother was not even interested in looking me in the eye when I spoke to him. I could care less what he has to say. Lord, have mercy that our witness or our testimony is ruined because we do not have love one for another. Lord forbid that I preach this sermon and I walk away with an inflated ego and I think that I'm better than all of you and I do not love you and one of you tries to come up to me and I'm not interested in what you have to say to me. Lord forbid that that ever happens. Why? Because God is not interested in that. He's not pleased with that. He is not happy with that. If we could get this straight in our minds and I think that a lot of this has to do with our culture. Like it was said earlier, everything is so zippy. Everything is so quick. We get so impatient when our internet doesn't load as fast as we want to. We want to do everything as fast as possible. We don't like five, ten-year plans, brothers and sisters. We need six months or less. We don't like long-term ministry. We like quick, short bursts of this and that and the Lord working. We don't feel comfortable with ten years. We, we are not comfortable with 10 years, brothers and sisters. I am not always comfortable with 10 years. I want today. I want now. Oh, Lord, I don't want to wash dishes at kids camp. Make me a counselor. I wash dishes for two years before they ever ask me to be a counselor. Lord, I don't want to wash dishes. I want to be a spiritual director. No one's going to make you a spiritual director, Dennis, until you start doing this. Lord, why isn't no one asking me to preach on Sunday morning? Brother, do you even speak at youth? 
We want everything now. We want to go quickly. We want to go fast. We want to make an impact. We want to be special. We don't like to start off slow. We don't like to start off small because God deserves the best, right? We make it sound so spiritual. Praying, reading the word of God, going in our prayer closet. Sometimes we neglect that. And we would rather be in church in a place where everyone can watch me grow, where people can watch me making moves, where people can watch me do something fancy for the Lord. But if I do not have love, it profits me nothing. If I do not have love, it profits me nothing. If there's a conference, I'm just speaking from my own mind. I'm trying to think, what's the coolest thing? What's the greatest thing I could imagine? Billy Graham crusade times 10. If I had one of those and everyone repented and everyone was crying and the heavens were opened up, but the Lord said, Dennis, you do not have love. It profits me nothing. One preacher said it like this. If God opens all the doors, God opens all the opportunities for you, but he says to you, I want you to stop. You would give God more glory if you stopped and did nothing than if you went running through all of those open doors. If God gave you an opportunity to serve and do this and to make a great impact, but God wants you to stay put, you would give God more glory if you stood there and did nothing than if you went through those open doors. But brothers and sisters, we do not always believe it. We do not always believe it. I do not always believe it. Brothers and sisters, I do not always believe it. Sometimes I think this is cooler than washing dishes. Sometimes I think this is fancier. This is going to give me a better reward than watching kids in Sunday school. This is going to make a greater impact than praying at home. Brothers and sisters, if we do not have love, if we have this unhealthy obsession with ministry and service and being burned at the stake and not loving, not obeying where we are supposed to be obeying, not being faithful at work, not being faithful at home, not doing the little things, God is not pleased with it. Saul thought he was so smart. I'm going to disobey the Lord and I'm going to say, but Lord, I'm offering this to you. The Lord did not care. The Lord rejected him. He said, I regretted making Saul king. He says that in chapter 14. I have regretted making Saul king. And the Lord has not regretted saving any one of us. But I never want the Lord to say, I regret letting Dennis have opportunities to preach in youth. I regret giving this sister opportunities to sing in choir. I regret making him a counselor at kids camp because he no longer cares about obeying me. That is not my desire for anyone here. And so before we pray, I want this to be in our mind. If I am stumbling somewhere, if I am neglecting that voice that God has put inside of me, the conscience and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has been telling me, go home, pray. Go home, read. And I'm ignoring it. And I'm just serving and serving and staying busy and neglecting what matters. Let us repent. Let us find comfort in fearing God more than we fear man. But if we are being faithful and we are loving as God wants us to love, 
at home and at work. Let us continue. Let us continue with what God has given us. The Lord loves us. And he does not want any of us to. He doesn't want any of us to be worn out. He says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The Lord is not asking us to walk around exhausted, trying to do everything, saying yes to everyone, peer pressure this and this and that. We find rest in Jesus Christ. We find rest in the Lord. The only time we do not find rest is when we try to do it our way, when we want to be more spiritual than God wants us to be, when we think that our plans are better than God's plans. Let us bow on our knees and let us pray. Lord, Father, I am so grateful for your love, your mercy, and your grace, God. I know, Father, that you have a plan for me, my God, and your plan is this, Father, for me to pursue love, my God, love with my neighbor, love with my family, love with my employer, my God. You want me to be faithful in absolutely everything, and you do not want me to get carried away with ministry and with service and spiritual giftings. Those are good things, but there is a more excellent way, Father, and that is loving, my God. Lord, if I was to sell all that I had and to give it to the poor, but did not have love, it would profit me nothing, my God. If I was to offer my body at the stake and be burned alive, but I did not have love, it would profit me nothing, my God. If I disobey you, Lord God, you are not pleased with that, Father. If I pretend to be more spiritual than I really am, my God, to justify the sin in my life, I pray, forgive me. You are not pleased with that, Father. Disobedience, my God, is like witchcraft in your eyes. I pray, have mercy and grace on me, my God. When in disobedience, I want to offer something to you, my God. When I neglect the duties and responsibilities in my own house to do something more spiritual, forgive me, my God. This is idolatry. I have deceived myself, my God. When I am disobeying my parents, to come to youth, Father, when I'm disobeying my family, Lord, to do what I think is spiritual. Have mercy on me, my God. I am deceiving myself. You are not pleased with this service. When I am neglecting to be a good employee at work, my God, because I think I am more spiritual and I think my boss does not deserve good work, Lord, have mercy on me. I am not pleasing you, my God. What you ask from each and every single one of this is this. It is to love, my God, to love you and to love people, Father, with the same love that you showed us, my God. If we have fallen astray, my God, if we have neglected to love, Lord, and we have made an excuse, Father, through service, I pray forgive us. Open our eyes, open our ears, my God, open our hearts, Holy Spirit, and speak to us how often, my God, do I fall astray, and I think preaching is the best that I can offer you. Sometimes, Lord, you would be happier if I stayed home and I sought you in prayer. How often, my God, do I only read your word to prepare for a Saturday school lesson? Forgive me, my God. How often do I only pray to you when I need something? Forgive me, my God. We pretend to be so spiritual, but I pray have mercy and grace on us. I know that you love us, Father, and if you are speaking to someone in this place, I pray, Father, would you convict them, my God, 
And would you, Lord, not give them that peace and rest until they repent and until they turn back to you, my God. You do not ask us to wear ourselves out and to say yes to everything and to spend ourselves uselessly, my God. You are not happy with it, Father, even if it is profitable. And everyone says, what a blessed man or woman of God. If you are not pleased, my God, because it is in disobedience, Lord, it would have been better if we had stayed put and done nothing, my God. I pray, Lord, bless us, Father. As we leave this place, give us wisdom. Give us strength, Lord. Let us be more afraid of you than we are afraid of man, my God. If we are easily peer pressured into serving, my God, I know very often I am, I pray, forgive me, my God. Give me boldness, Lord, to trust in you and to fear you more, my God. If I'm stumbling and obeying my parents, my God, if I'm a lazy steward and I am justifying it by serving in church, have mercy on me. Forgive me, my God. Teach me to love first. Teach me to pursue love, my God. I thank you for everyone that came to this service. Keep working on us, my God. Keep speaking to each and every single one of us. I know that you care for us and you have a plan for us, my God. Teach us to hear your voice and to walk on your paths always, Lord. Would your name be glorified, praised, and lifted high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God, brothers and sisters. Tonight, I want to share a few thoughts about God's timing and his promises. And I'll be reading from Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abraham. I am a shield to you. Your word will be very great. Abraham said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram said, since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, and he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned to him as righteousness. You know, before we take a look at Abraham's life and his situation, kind of wanted to take a look at our current situation, how we live in such a fast-paced and such a quick generation. You know, I was looking at some of the things that we have, some of the resources we have. I was looking... You know, I order something online, and it, we have shipping that comes in a day now. You know, there's, I've heard of shipping that, there's, that stuff arrives in an hour or two, you know, today. And, and I look, my, co- my coworker, you know, typically for lunch break, you would go out and get some food or even uh, um, prepare some food. But, like, you can now order through Uber Eats, and you're able to, you know, not even leave your own desk or anything like that and you have food at your desk you can order and it's delivered to you you know there's a lot of technology where even waiting for something to load for a few seconds is a little irritating you know but if you look at Abraham's life it's a little bit different situation you see a man who is righteous before God and God blesses him and he has something planned for Abraham but he has to wait 25 years before he actually sees it happen. You know, looking at our life and our current situation, 
it might be good that we see fast results, but it also can be bad that, there's, that we can grow so much impatience towards a lot of things. And Abraham was truly a man of God, and you see that he waited 10 years, for the first 10 years, to, for God to respond to him and reassure to him, and another 15 years for it to actually happen and him bear, uh, his Sarah bear a son. But in that time, he had to witness his own wife pass the age of childbearing. And you see, several years later, he's also tested by God to sacrifice Isaac. You know, and I look at my own life and look at our current situation. If God doesn't respond within a day, you kind of think about it and you probably pray a little bit more. If God doesn't respond within a few days or a week, then you start really doubting God, and you're like, you know, is, are you really hearing my prayers? If God doesn't respond within a month or two, you start really going for that plan B and, you know, trying to do it your own ways and, you know, trying to use your own fleshly powers to accomplish something. And that kind of brought to my own thought about how illogical it was for God to put Abraham in this kind of situation. Who, who, he was a man who lived in a time where there was so much sin in this world, and a lot of us forget about that, that Abraham also lived where there's a lot of people. There's the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know. He had to witness all of this and experience all this, and he was still called one, one of the men of righteousness in the Bible, who, even though he witnessed, he never compromised to it and stood right with God. And something that, one of the verses that came up to me was from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. And it says, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, with that the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. You know, a lot of us tend to forget that God is in a different time zone, you know. It's, it might not, we might not understand it, but His ways are always higher, and... It's like God has his own way, and it, he somehow does it. We might not understand it, but he has his own interpretation of time. And I kind of look at my own life when I experienced a season where I didn't quite understand God's timing. And it was, it was last year, and I always wanted to share about this, that, you know, I was going through school, and I really wanted an internship. And I had all these plans during the summer. I wanted to go do all these camps, get involved in all these things. We were building our house, and I also wanted an internship, something that I could do. But then I realized, how will I ever do this internship when I got so many things going on in the summer? You know, there's a camp for one week, kids camp, there's another camp, family camp, and it's like, it's going to end up like me doing an internship for about a day every week. And I started to realize that, and then I never was able to, even though I was applying I was never able to get that internship that I wanted. A few people bailed on me. I'm like, oh, well, you know, maybe that's a sign from God. It wasn't, it wasn't the right internship. But then I realized towards the end, once I accomplished the last thing that I wanted to do that summer, then I started to see, you know, offers coming in. I got an opportunity. And not only did I get that experience, but I got plenty of more experience. And that kind of taught me that no matter the timing, God always will provide. He just has his own time zone. And I kind of looked at Abraham's life and reflected on that, that even with Israel's disobedience through the years, and if you look in throughout all 
of the Old Testament, even today, you know, with Israel's current situation where, you know, there's so many enemies surrounding it, and it's from the edge of being destroyed, but God's promise to Abraham still stands that he will bless his nation and multiply. And that just was such a crazy thought to me that to this day, Israel still exists. If you look through history, it's been invaded so many times, but God's word stands till today. And that kind of brought me to a verse in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And just in these short verses, it shows that God wants us, he he wants to give to us. He, He wants to fulfill his promises to us when we put in the effort. And as believers, we gotta understand how God's timing works, and how his promises works, so we, we won't be confused or lost and misunderstand him. Because in my situation, it might have seemed like a misunderstanding, like I've been doing all these things, but I'm not receiving what I want. And when, a, when I look at Abraham and his story, there are two reasons or kind of two points that I see in his life that were fulfilled or portrayed in his life that sets an example for us and how we should approach God and his promises. And one of the first points is, and it's pretty, pretty straightforward, is that we got to pray and trust in God. And we can find a verse in Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask Believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. So basically, the, how much time and effort we put in, in fasting and prayer, and believing and trusting God, God will do the rest. That's the first point that I wanted to say. And you see that with Abraham. Trusting in God, and just Abraham experienced it 10 years before God reappears to him. And then another 15 years. Just trusting and believing God and praying to him is a big portion of it. And the second one that I wanted to hit was righteousness by faith. I kind of looked at Abraham's life, and he was a righteous man. Like I mentioned earlier, you look in the later chapters when he's talking to God and compromising if he can find at least up to 10 righteous people in the city. You know, Abraham really showed an example of righteousness. And we see plenty of men in, in the Bible who are also righteous. A righteous, a righteous man, man's prayer was answered in many Bible stories. And you, you look in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29, it says, The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And in James chapter 5, in the second half of verse 16, it says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Kind of look at every man of God in the Bible, every righteous man, when he prayed, God answered him. And God fulfilled his promise. You see that with Noah, with Abraham, 
at many more men and women of God in the Bible. And kind of a lot of us, for a lot of us, righteousness is not the first thing in our minds when we think about God answering our prayers or fulfilling his promises. And what exactly is righteousness when we think about it? And I was looking into it, and righteousness is a word that appears in the Bible a lot more time than faith. I'm not trying to say that faith is not important because it's the foundation, you know, but if you look, righteousness, like Abraham, it is obeying God's word and his command, and it's acting according to God's word in every aspect of our life, in every decision that we make, and it's basically standing right with God. That's what it all comes down to, and that's how I thought of it as what righteousness is, and it's, and if you look at Abraham's situation, it's also not compromising to the world around you. We see it in our, our world today, and you see it in Abraham's time, you know. It's almost similar. It's not compromising to the world and the culture around us, but it's standing firm on what God's word says. And the important thing to note is that faith is the foundation of our righteousness. If you look at Abraham, he took it by faith, and through his faith, righteousness appeared in his life. I'm not trying to preach another doctrine to say it's everything is by works, but I'm trying to say that God forgives us and he blesses us with the Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit we're convicted and we grow, and through the Holy Spirit convictions we change and you know, the, one of the byproducts is righteousness and how we act and how people see us in our daily walk with God. And so m- many times as born-again born Christians, that's one of the aspects that we have to realize if we want God to answer our prayers and if we want to see our, our prayers be effective towards God. And I look at my own life and, you know, we can all take a look in our own life, and I'm just trying to show that when we pray to God and then continue in our walk, prideful ways, our, our secular thoughts, our you know, worldly paths and desires, do we, do we really expect God to answer our prayers if that's how we live our life? That we, we pray to God and expect Him to answer our prayers, but then continue to not be holy you know, to not live such a righteous life and walk in the path of righteous, righteousness. And I know a lot of us have a lot of concern for our future marriage, school, work. In my case, it was work. And we expect God to an- answer our needs and bless us like Abraham, but we forget to look at Abraham's life and that it was not only through prayer and trusting in God, but it was, only, it was also through his walk with God and his righteousness before God. God saw that Abraham was a man of righteousness, that in the middle of sinful culture that was surrounded by him, he stood by God's word. And that's just a thought that I want to leave with you guys, that as much as we're waiting on God and God's timing, he's waiting on us to also act according to his word. And as we kind of stand up for prayer to to think about these thoughts and think about how can we fulfill God's will in our life 
And how can God answer our needs through our walk with Him? So let's all just stand up and pray.